Monk Realty Show is the podcast at the intersection of real estate, technology, and future. This podcast is produced by Monk Tech Labs, which owns and operates SaaS products like the House Monk, which is used to manage residential portfolios, and the Office Monk, which is used to manage commercial portfolios. Hi, folks. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Monk Realty Show. Uh, today is a first for us with respect to shooting the podcast in our office. And we have a very nice guest with us, Angie Mehtani from Brigade Reef. Angie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, definitely. And thank you for coming down to the office as well. Like We've done so many episodes where we're just like recording on Zoom. And it's like very nice to actually have somebody in person that do in our office. So it feels very nice to be, to be doing this. My pleasure. For uh, those of our audience listening in from India, like I'm sure they are well aware of Brigade Reef. But for you know the, those who might be tuning in from elsewhere, how do you maybe like introduce Brigade Reef? Uh, Brigade Reap is the Brigade Group's uh, accelerator program, which was started in October of 2016. And the reason it was started is because the leadership at the time believed that there was a need for a platform for startups and technology to really enable the real estate ecosystem. So whether it was to increase sales, reduce costs, increase efficiencies, uh, there was tremendous scope for tech disruption in the space and that's why it was started mm-hmm. for disruption in the broader industry in the six and a half years we've been ex- in existence we have mentored 68 early stage prop tech companies we were the first accelerator in prop tech accelerator in asia uh, the second in the world so we did this way before it was cool <laughs> and uh, you know i the mission then was to create the PropTech ecosystem and in our opinion, you know, we take credit for having done that. Fantastic. I have been in the PropTech space for about a decade now and I will definitely agree to uh, agree to that statement because in 2016, it was not yet fancy to build uh, or start an accelerator focused only on PropTech, right? So a lot of, a lot of credit to the leadership team there to have the vision uh, to play such a to play such a bold bet and 68 companies is actually not a joke. Right? It's a, it's a yep. very good cohort and Protec is not as big an industry as like fintech or etc. Right. Uh, 68 companies get probably got started yesterday, right? In fintech. That's true. <laughs> so 68 is a very big number from the Protec and tech. So th- th- that's very nice to know. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about Brigade Reap, but you know, help us understand what was your journey into Brigade Reap? Like, how did you get here? Um, I mean, it was very serendipitous, to be honest. You know, before this, I was running a apparel manufacturing company uh, for about 11 years. Uh, also co-founded a cold press uh, juice company uh, along the way. And unfortunately, I had to shut down the apparel manufacturing company during COVID. And post that, you know, I was really doing some soul searching on what I wanted to do next. and. It was abundantly clear to me that I wanted to play in the entrepreneurial startup space, particularly in India. And, you know, even during my time as CEO, you know, in apparel, I was an angel investor uh, throughout the 10 years. Really loved working with startups, this idea of building something. And um, during that that period of soul searching, a friend of mine uh, told me about Reap. And I've always, you know, I've known Niropa Shankar for many years and I've always looked up to her and it's been inspired by her. So, you know, the opportunity to play in the startup space under the leadership of someone like Niropa uh, was really quite intriguing. 
So it started out as a six-month uh, gig just to explore because I really didn't have real estate experience at the time. But it has turned out to be the most rewarding and fun thing I've ever done um, in my life. So it, it worked out quite well so far. Fantastic. Now, it, it, it's always very nice to have people with a lot of entrepreneurial experience and passion come into this industry. Uh, and it, it's very nice that you know you've chosen to do that as well. Uh, so let's talk about the accelerator program with mm-hmm. them, right? Now let's maybe like look at a prop tech company that is building in isolation versus let's say a prop tech company that is building within the brigade, you know, like the the accelerator. What are the differences? Like you know, what does a company get access to when they're working within the Reap Accelerator ecosystem? That's a great question. You know, when we sort of did some soul searching on on why great founders would come to us, it really comes down to Brigade, right? The infrastructure that we have, the wealth of knowledge that comes from, you know, running this business for 36 years, of the network and the reputation and credibility that we've built. So any company, especially early stage, when they're trying to figure out, you know, what problem they're solving, achieving product market fit, it's incredibly important to get insights and on-ground experience from, you know, such a sort of world-class real estate player, right? That's something that we offer that is difficult to find from, let's say, a sector agnostic accelerator or from a VC fund, right? And so everything we do is really revolves around that. Uh-huh. But having said that, you know, we've, I think, done a good job of still, you know, leveraging the Brigade ecosystem uh, to its maximum potential, but at the same time, still operating at arm's length, right? Because, like I said initially, we're doing this for the industry. This is not just an innovation arm for Brigade, right? And so it's important to, to operate in a distinct manner so that other real estate developers also kind of look to Brigade Reap for, you know, tech innovation and deployment. I think that's largely kind of what they get from us that perhaps is very unique. Uh I think also from what I've seen in the last year is we tend to roll up our sleeves and get very, very operational with the startup, right? It's not just pie in the sky you know, 30,000 foot view for a, a, a startup. It's actually rolling up their sleeves, going out to the market, going out to suppliers. Um, you know, a large part of our program revolves around getting out to stakeholders to understand what the problem, you know, statement and the pain point really is so that we make sure that the startup is actually solving the pain point. Then the value prop to a customer becomes abundantly clear, and that's when a startup can scale. Interesting. Okay. With respect to capital, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that is something that we look at from so many accelerators with capital, without capital, mm-hmm. what's important, what's not important. Um, what, what does like REAP stand on? You know, like should it be like a funding plus acceleration kind of a model, or should it? Uh, is it is it really like people who are coming more for the network and you know all the other points that you said? Um, what is the stance on that? You know, the way we see it is capital for good founders is abundantly available. You know, so that we don't believe that that can be our USP, right? So we took a very very different stance when we started Reap and we continue to maintain that stance that we want to attract founders who really want to build scalable businesses and and getting 
and for them it's about getting the foundations and the fundamentals right right it's not just about capital it's not just about valuations it's about building sound businesses and so we believe that if we want to work with founders who prioritize that because when you build that the funding will come the capital will come there'll be a line of investors out your door you know as opposed to the other way around of getting capital and then after that you know trying to build your business we we think it's better sort of getting your fundamentals right if it means you scale a little bit less rapidly that's absolutely fine but because you know during times like this where fundraising where funds are drying up a little bit the businesses that are going to do well and will emerge from this are those that can stand on their own two feet um have good unit economics and and the path of profitability is very clear uh-huh. right so that's really the focus i mean capital they can get from anyone fair enough it's a it's a it's a very correct point also <clears throat> that a great founder or a founding team will have the ability to raise capital mm-hmm. right like a, I, i think the current market like notwithstanding but even now even now a lot of the seed rounds and like the early rounds are still happening right like why should an entrepreneur choose to build and profit because we're seeing that you know there is ample opportunity for tech disruption in real estate right when we started as per our data tech spend as a percentage of revenue in real estate was less than 0.5% today it's closer to 2% so we're starting to see a lot more um you know members of the real estate ecosystem looking to tech to dis- to disrupt to stay ahead of competition you know we get out to our customers um quite frequently to a understand their problem statements and what's keeping them up at night so that we can find solutions that solve those problems and also to take some of our startups who are ready to to deploy at scale we take them to our customers right so we interact with them a lot and we're seeing constantly there's a lot more sort of openness and willingness to adopt there's more willingness to change um and so i think that's the reason we're still continuing to bet heavily on proptech yeah perhaps it's not going to be as steep as let's say a fintech or healthtech but it will be a slightly flatter curve but we believe the growth is absolutely going interesting and what could be a reason for an entrepreneur not to start in proptech right now a uh, great questions i think a couple of things um you know adoption is still slow we haven't seen it kind of like i said hockey stick like other industries right so it's a long journey uh, one has to be very very patient um and i think this applies to a lot of enterprises but we in india want everything for free right and so it takes you got to be very patient you got to keep banging on the door right and and wait for your moment um to be able to get deployed right so that I, i would say it's for it's for not for the faint hearted right uh when one has to be very patient and be willing to wait it out you know sort of 5 7 years that's true i think um my experience kind of echoes that in 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 many capacities but the sales cycles are slower um so if the entrepreneur is not willing to play a very long game mm-hmm. uh, even i realize that this is not the market yeah that's right the advantage that i see on the other side is that the relationships that are built 
they are typically more long lasting absolutely um so customers don't churn that quickly they don't move out that quickly etc so the stickiness is a lot higher absolutely. although that initial penetration um might take a little bit might take a little bit longer so um let's talk about um trends and profit because you are involved at the very beginning mm-hmm. of the entire company building journey for entrepreneurs mm-hmm. you probably have first hand experience or like you have like first dibs on the new trends that are coming up in this industry um, what are some trends that you're spotting like uh, with respect to company building within profit i think there's a couple of things you know if we sort of boil it up a little bit it's about um, sustainability right it's about uh, efficiency and we're seeing a lot of um, sort of opportunity in the decision making space from a data analytics perspective and everything you know most of the startups we see kind of boil up to one of these three buckets right um climate tech is is absolutely massive you know 40% of carbon emissions come from the build world and if india is going to become net zero by 2070 then real estate is going to have to play right and so and we're seeing that right in terms of regulations for public listed startups on on sustainability reporting you know we're seeing a lot of governments around the country actually give the carrot when uh, real estate developers you know deploy various uh, carbon emission reducing um initiatives so we're starting to see it flow through to okay. the private sector right and of course i mean climate tech has been extremely important globally for a while now right esg so any builder who has got who's trying to cater to a global clientele have to build you know um sort of climate conscious infrastructure so climate tech is huge um you know whether it's platforms that are uh, trying to help you capture carbon footprint and help you decarbonize whether it's alternate materials whether it's iot metering of utilities we're seeing massive sort of both on the demand side from customers and as well as on the investment side as well as the startups that are trying to come in and, and build solutions um the second one is like i said sort of process uh, you know efficiency cost reduction kind of play so we're seeing a lot of robotics a lot of um you know uh, saas based tools that help you manage your projects more efficiently and highlight you know potential risk factors delays things like that and companies that are deploying sort of iot ai video mm. um even generative ai to be able to identify inefficiencies in the process right um and the third is on on decision making i think we're seeing a lot more companies trying to use big data to make better decisions on land acquisition on where retail brands should put stores uh where projects should be developed uh, so data is a big one as well Very interesting. I really like that. There's a lot of <clears throat> companies building tough solutions to big problems, especially around sustainable materials, mm-hmm. etc. So let's maybe like talk about that because yep. I've been waiting for some kind of like uh, innovation to happen there. Um, not really my area of expertise at all, but like really like feels like an interesting opportunity. So let's maybe like, tell us a little bit more about what you're seeing happen in let's say the sustainable materials space. Sure, it's actually a space that we're keenly uh, looking at and really excited about. You know, in our current cohort that's about to start, we're we're looking at getting a couple of altered material guys. You know, people who are decarbonizing cement 
um, guys who are using recycled plastic to build um, paper blocks. Now we've had companies, you know, not just a dream, but you know, we've seen companies trying to do that. But we're seeing the evolution happen. You know, the companies that we saw years ago versus today are different. The ones today are a lot more mature. You know, they've actually built out a commercial, commercially viable product. They have customers. They've got global testing standards kind of met. We haven't seen it come that far yet. And, and we're really excited about some of the startups we're seeing today of actually showing a fair bit of traction. Uh, so we're really hopeful that we'll be able to get these solutions actually deployed at scale, right? It's it's one thing to just put paper blocks on a few roads here and there, right? But how do you actually, you move the needle only when you can use those materials at scale, right? And we believe we found a couple of really interesting kids from around the country who are who have found, um, you know, ways to make it commercially viable. And they're all patented solutions. So it's pretty, it's pretty interesting. Um, we're really hopeful about what we're seeing. And for these companies to really go to market, mm-hmm. are you, are they at that stage yet? Like where they're like speaking to developers and getting purchase orders and stuff? Like- no, absolutely. So a couple of them are at that stage where they're already working with warehousing companies, industrial complexes, as well as developers. Um, then there are other companies who are, they've built the product, testing's complete, they've done pilots, now they're ready to deploy, right? And okay. so where they're going to, you know, where we want to add value for startups like that is, Help, help you actually build out your GTM strategy, right? Who are the kind of customers you go to, right? Because you want to make sure that you're going after big fish, but at the same time, um, you know, you're sensible about how you go to market, right? If I want to go to, let's say, a brigade as my first customer, that may be a slightly tough sell, right? So how do I sort of develop a GTM strategy that, that's both efficient in getting scale, but at the same time also very practical, right? So those are ways in which we kind of engage. So what we do when they come to us is we take them out to a range of customers. And, you know, whether small, medium, large, we take them to architects, we take them to civil construction companies, and then we understand, basis those meetings and insights, we actually develop together with the startup an effective GTM strategy. It's a good point um, that an early stage company should not go to a company as large as Brigade on day zero. Uh, but as a founder, the temptation is always to go get you know the big whale absolutely as quickly as possible. Uh, it, it kind of also mirrors our learning, mm-hmm. where when we enter a new geography or a new customer segment, um, earlier what we used to do was only try to go top down because everyone wants to buy whatever the market leader is buying. Yep. And that becomes the strongest case, but then it's not at all easy selling to the market. It's not. It's a 12 to 18 month sales cycle and you might have to dramatically change your product as well. uh, Because what the market leader wants and what the rest of the market wants might not be. Absolutely. Selling to the market leader probably gets you a lot of credibility. Mm -hmm. um, But you might have to move your product in a direction that the rest of the customers might not really appreciate. Absolutely. So even we've kind of like tweaked our, you know, go to market, um, having learned, you know, essentially the essentially the same thing. Um, let's talk about mistakes. Right? Mm-hmm. What are some mistakes that you see PropTech founders or founders in general uh, make at earlier stages in their company building journey that could have been that could be easily avoided? 
I think there's two three things. <clears throat> One is startup founders tend to build solutions without doing enough validation on what problem they're solving, right? They'll build a solution and then they'll try to force fit a problem into that. And that's dangerous. Those businesses are tough to scale because you're not really clear on the pain pain point that you're solving and it you end up becoming a nice to have solution, right? And so I think you know, and a lot of startup founders will get early traction through their friends, their family, their network, and that can be really dangerous because you get this traction early, and you think, oh my God, I'm home, right? I've got my product market fit, but it can be deceptive uh, when you're trying, you know, trying to go from let's say 50 lakhs to three crores. That's when you start to really see, oh my God, um, customers are not biting, right? So I think one is first be very clear on the problem you're trying to solve and is it a hair on fire problem or is this a nice to have right number one number two we find a lot of startups building and then as they'll go out to market and they'll realize oh the customer's not biting and they think it's short because they're short of a feature here a feature there it's every time they go to customer they just keep adding features very often they're not getting to the root of the issue right so i think what we always tell our startup founders is build and sell in parallel. Keep building, keep selling that. See, you know, and, and there's nothing like data, right? So every time you get a yes, you know exactly kind of what's going right or wrong. I think the third thing is, you know, especially on B2B SaaS, uh, we tend to, you know, startups tend to look at acquisition of new customers. Whereas in our opinion, I think the key metric is expansion within uh, uh, one customer, right? Keep going deep, keep increasing your revenue with them. Um, and I think the last thing is, you know, uh, it's been very easy for startups to get carried away by this whole sort of valuation and fundraise game. And um, I think our thesis is that focus on building a sound business and the money will come. Don't get caught up with valuation. Take what you absolutely need. It's okay to go slow at the start. Don't dilute too much. Um, you know, sort of create a really good foundation so you can kind of um, rocket fuel your journey. You know, in the years to come. I think those are the key things we've seen startup founders uh, fumble on, and and we try to try to you know use data and logic to be able to convince them to to try and. But just from the other side. Uh, sometimes it gets very frustrating as a product founder <coughs> where you have clear product market fit where you have a lot of revenue coming in and you're struggling to raise let's say at a 10 million valuation when your friend from college yeah. starts a fintech company day zero gets like a 5 million check at a 20 mil pre right? yeah. like, and, yeah. and this happens all the time this happens yeah. all the time absolutely and that kind of makes your question am I building in the right market right like so what would you suggest to founders like that you know, I, this sounds philosophical and cliched, but I think the only thing I can say is that everyone's on a different journey. Be very, very clear on yours, right? Be clear on what you're building and how you're going to get there and be open for that to change, um, you know, plus minus 5%. But you are you are on your own journey. Okay. You just, you cannot compare yourself to uh, another founder because if you start taking decisions based that framework, you will start making the wrong decisions for your business. And I think that's the only thing I can say. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
the point about um, hair on fire problems versus you know like just good to have solutions how does a founder validate whether it's really an important problem worth solving cuz especially when you do market research and you're speaking to early customers uh, etc right they might just to be supportive or just to like kind of like encourage you to build your own company and stuff like that people end up giving words of support um but how do you know that oh this is truly a problem uh, and my solution is like a really good solution but more than that this is a really really important problem how do how do you validate that i think two things right first is when you're articulating your value prop right and and can you quantify it can you quantify an increase in sales for a customer can you quantify a reduction in cost right or are you just giving really kind of fluffy you know um, qualitative kind of benefits if that's right. what it is you're not solving a problem number one number two and most important is what are your customers doing are they paying if if you are you can there you know everything you need to know about your product market fit your customer will tell you um how excited are they about giving you a pilot how you know how easily do they release a po your customers tell you everything you need to know and that's why we always say while you're building sell don't you know build your mvp or what we call mvp you know minimum uh, billable product you know build that and sell it don't wait till you have this really fancy you know product with bells and whistles because you've probably overbuilt um you know and, and if if you're not solving a hair on fire your mvp stage at that point you haven't sunk in um as much money right and so keep selling keep getting out to customers that's the only way you know whether you're you're actually solving a hair on fire problem fair enough and um, just going back to the fundraising and the uh, portion right how is the market right now so 2022 was a tough year to raise mm-hmm. money 2023 so far like kind of like at least from outside kind of seems uh, seems very similar uh, any what are your thoughts on that like do you agree like do you feel it yeah i think hard? i think uh, funding has tightened but good founders will still have a line out the door in my opinion um what are I mean my good founders again those who are solving uh, hair on fire problems they have a unique solution the team is um passionate and and has some sort of domain experience to be able to solve the problem um like i said fundamentally sound businesses uh, you know we see today are looking at companies that can be profitable where there is a very clear path to profitability i think for those guys i make it sound easy to build that but it's not i recognize that um but for those guys the funding is still there yes valuations have dried up a little bit i you know we make investments as well we cut early stage checks in in founders and the valuations we would get i'd say 12 months ago versus today are quite different but i think it was a much needed correction i would say about 25 30% is what we're seeing so far yeah it's not bad it you know it's a healthy correction that i think was much needed i think the, the prices at which uh money was being given to to me was just not logical um and so this i think this correction is good for the ecosystem it doesn't feel like that for founders but but it's good for the ecosystem <laughs> uh and as with respect to the actual fundraising journey process itself um what are some things that you would recommend to founders to do um or like because you must be hearing so many pitches right like on the other side what do you feel are some mistakes that founders do when pitching and what are some suggestions that you would have for founders when they are raising money right 
you know, I think again, the founders are still getting carried away with valuations. I think it's got to be fairly simple, right? One is, of course, how much do you really need, right? And give yourself an 18-month runway because in this kind of market, it's going to take you six to 12 months to fundraise, and you don't want to fundraise and then again in three months be back at it, right? So an 18-month runway when you're fundraising is, I think, critical. Number one. Um, number two is that don't look at valuations or, you know, my friend raised at this price or other companies have raised at this price. Look at how much you need and how much you can dilute, right? If you project yourself out all the way to Series B, right? And you know how much you can dilute in seed, in pre-Series A, in Series A, Series B, make sure that, you know, you still have 50% uh, as co-founders or founders at Series A. You know how much you can dilute, right? And so that, that's how you justify your valuation, right? Uh, and of course, it can't be completely out of whack. You look at industry metrics um, to do sanity checks, but that's, I think, getting your valuation right and not being foolish about it is important. Number one. Number two, you know, how you're thinking about your business, the size of the market and how you're going to capture it. You know, sometimes we get business plans and we see that founders think they can capture 20% of the market. And we're like, have a dream, sure, but you can't build a business plan based around that, right? right. So, so when you're building your business plan, um, do sanity checks on kind of how aggressive um, are you are you trying to be in capturing a certain size of business, right? Um, so, I think the numbers need to make sense, but it's tricky because you got to find a balance between being realistic, but then also showing that the size of the problem is big enough, the size of the market is big enough, right? I mean, VCs don't necessarily want to invest in small niche businesses, right? So it's tricky to find that balance, but that balance is important to find. I think, like I said earlier, you know, you've got to be solving a, a hair on fire problem and founders get feedback um, before you get out to fundraise on, on that. I think having a moat is important. We see so many marketplace businesses and they all think that they have moats, but you know, anybody can go and start that business tomorrow. So I think be really clear on what your moat is. It can be domain experience, it can be your team, it can be a pattern. I think those are the things by and large that get VCs kind of excited. And like I said, today it's it's unit economics. The path to profitability has to be clear and has to be, it has to make sense. Um, I think that's, you know, being very clear about that is important as well. I don't know. I think for a lot of founders, the challenge itself that is coming in is that we are not used to thinking about profitability <laughs> absolutely so no one no one till um, maybe like last year has ever asked me about profitability uh, as long as I can show like a nice financial plan which has like 300% yeah. growth year over year like no one ever asked about yeah. profitability um, only the question has always been around how big is the market how quickly yeah. can we penetrate and things like that but now there's a lot more uh, pointers on like unit economics and but we're SaaS like so unit economics is like kind of well understood but um, definitely around like how do you cut burn how do you like you know like re-leverage your existing development so there's quite a lot of conversations around that so uh, definitely get but, but, but my feeling is that by the time we figure this out I think the market will go back to more of a bull market uh, but I think that'll be a good thing if companies figure out profitability in the meanwhile um, I think then the capital can actually be used for growth uh, and not Absolutely. just kind of thing. funding yeah. yeah 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 for funding losses and yeah yeah burn yeah unnecessary yeah. unnecessary burn exactly 
sunburn is always necessary but it is. Um, for growth yeah yeah for, for growth but it's just a question of like are you able to justify that burn mm-hmm. um is your growth aggressive enough to justify your absolutely justify your burn absolutely. um so uh, just on the topic of in general like marketplaces and iot and saas and hardware and so many for people like you and me like who are kind of deeply inside the industry mm-hmm. it feels like okay no everything that can be built is probably being built right but uh, are there any particular areas or opportunities which you feel mm, there's not enough players playing in this opportunity or going behind this space i think deep tech like robotics nanotech i think is huge scope even within the real estate yeah oh absolutely okay absolutely uh, there is massive scope there are uh, a lot of people trying um, you know but I, i don't think we've seen anything yet i think generative ai we haven't seen anything yet on how, what that's going to do um for the industry as well you know i was looking at a startup the other day that takes video of your process and then using generative ai gives you analytics on process inefficiencies i mean that's interesting right I, and i think we're just scratching the surface interesting okay um I- since like chat gpt came out like any any interesting startups that are doing something for real estate with chat gpt or like the larger open ai ecosystem you know um we see companies sort of using generative ai to of course create content and we see most of our start- startups now doing that but i think as is sole businesses i think the ones that we're seeing that are interesting are those that are using it to generate uh, building design Okay, right. So, um looking to optimize for let's say sustainability. Um actually churning out design. So, I think the the use case we're seeing right now is largely around content design, presentation, process efficiencies. We are keenly looking for startups that are kind of uh doing that. What's challenging is that you know adoption of these technologies in in outside of india is is much higher like indians are you know and, and if you don't have scale the commercials are too expensive they're not viable right if you're going to charge a builder $80000 to do this video analytics um per project that's that's not feasible right but you understand the startup's plight as well if you if i have only one builder then it's not commercially viable right it's because you've got to build the data on the back end only then is the and the quality the analytics strong right so for them to spend the money to build that database on the back end is going to cost a lot and so it's not commercially viable right so the tricky i think it's sort of chicken or egg here because if we don't see more and more folks adopting these solutions we're not going to see solutions kind of uh, come to india at commercially viable prices they'll continue to stay in the west Middle East, we see is is ex- you know extremely open uh, to adopting tag Europe as well. So you'll continue to see those solutions emerge there, and and you won't see them as much here. So I think the industry as a whole has got to be a little bit more open to it. I think you know one of the things we're seeing is data security is 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 a big thing, right? A lot of customers are saying, look, my da- is my data secure? Is it safe, right? And until you kind of assure, you know. create infrastructure and give a real assurances around that again that's a serious sort of inhibitor in being able to deploy some of these solutions i think that's a fair point as well because india if you're building a business for the indian market 
the challenge really is getting customers to pay enough mm-hmm. and what kind of ends up happening as an ecosystem is that all startups even the really innovative ones being built from india just use india as a poc market mm-hmm. just to get early customers some kind exactly. of credibility traction tweak the product but then you know like no i'm not going to do a go to market here i'm going to do it in gcc or europe exactly US. and as an entrepreneur on the other side that's the exact choice we are making yeah. um and it makes a lot of sense why other startups would make the same choice yeah. for them as a nation and as an economy and as a larger ecosystem this is going to be a huge miss for us like we are going to build the technology and we are going to make sure the rest of the world benefits from it without you know the nation actually benefiting absolutely absolutely benefiting from it we're seeing the same thing you know some of our startups have you know they've started marketing aggressively to customers outside of india and and they're doing really well you know so we're seeing that as well I'm hopeful that it'll change it hasn't changed yet I think adoption outside of India is a lot faster So but I'm hopeful I'm hopeful it has to change I mean it, you know it's, it's a slow journey unfortunately <laughs> but it, it I find it hard to believe that it's it's not going to change no, fair enough fair enough that's the hope that yeah. all of us have yeah. um we're, we're kind of running out of time but like just like maybe as a closing thought um even i've been in the prop tech industry for a while but i have very visibly noticed a shift in the last couple of years from the broader investor ecosystem where uh, i think um, credai has set up a new fund mm-hmm. now uh, gruhas prop tech they have set up a fund uh, our own backers at orum they've kind of like gone very aggressively after this space um from your lens right like what do you feel is happening as in why do you sense that there is maybe an inflection point as in the last couple of years and these are all like big commitments being made right like none of these are 5 million 10 million seed but yep, they're all 100 billion dollar plus you know kind of bets that people are making so what do you feel is happening now and what should we expect over the next couple of years you know i i think uh, there is like i said the adoption of of tech in real estate is growing um and i think that's what's causing this increase in sort of players in the space right and and we're really pleased about it because you know to a certain stage the more players the more awareness right uh, both on the for the startups as well as for customers so we think it's it's great for uh, more players to come in and you know we look at each other i think more as collaborators than than competitors so i think it comes down to all of us believe that there is an opportunity there right um tech uh, real estate is an industry that you know is is a traditional uh, business in india but is ripe for for tremendous disruption i think the writings on the wall right it, and so i think all of us are sort of in it to kind of uh, you know capture that opportunity fantastic more money less problems <laughs> <laughs> fantastic and thank you so much for uh, coming down to our office today spending time um, irrespective of what the audience are taking away i have an entire notes uh, section filled with you know takeaways from what do you just shared with us thank you so much absolutely thank you so much for giving me the opportunity fantastic if you like the show please don't forget to give us a rating or review on apple podcasts or spotify